Welcome to Issue 25 of Critical Encounters, a podcast about Marvel Champions, a living card game by Fantasy Flight Games. Here, we take a good look at the most critical piece of the game, the encounter sets. We'll discuss those poorly understood characters, unfairly labeled villains, and their various plans to shape humanity and benefit the planet, as well as those so-called heroes intent on thwarting them. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Boggs, and joining me is Mustafa. Hello. Daniel. Hey, how are you tonight? And Steve. It's a wild bogs. How you doing? <laughs> hey, Mustafa, what's on your mind? Well, because we have a special guest, I have something special on my mind. And it's about one of my co-hosts. Daniel is traveling tonight on a plane. I can see the red tail lights heading for LCG Con. Oh, and I can see Daniel waving goodbye. God, it looks like Daniel. Must be the cloud <laughs> in my eyes. They say... LCG Con is pretty, though I've never been. Well, Daniel says it's the best gaming experience that he's ever seen. Oh, and he should know, he's been there enough, although it's the first time. Lord, I miss Daniel. Oh, I miss him so much. Daniel, my brother, you are younger than me. Do you still feel the pain of the scars that won't heal? Your eyes have died, <laughs> but you see more than I. Daniel. You're a star in the face of the sky, and you're headed to LCG Con next week. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I totally stole that. As you guys no, recognize. Never. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Our listener might be young enough that they don't know these lyrics. So no, but I... the fact that Elton John is a villain makes me happy. Yes. Yeah. Of course he is. I mean, he looks he like one. He dresses like one. <laughs> he dresses like a costume criminal. That's right. He is. Wow. Thanks. That was great, Moose. Thank you. I, I thought I got, got a tear over there. I do. I'm, I'm a little weepy. You know, as long as we're shilling for things, we might as well start shilling for LCG Con, right? Yeah. We want the shilling for <laughs> FFT. Now, Mustafa, you mentioned that we had a special guest tonight. Steve, what's that all about? Yeah, so tonight we have developer for Marvel Champions, Michael Box. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, how you guys all doing? Man, thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah it's, it's good to be on. Now, before we started recording, you said you'd prefer if we referred, you, referred to you as like the Supreme Overlord. Uh, if we slip up on that, please don't punish us. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll try not to, but no, no promises. <laughs> okay. You got to follow protocol with the Supreme Overlord. That's right. Uh, so we're, we're just going to talk. We're going to have, we got some questions for you. We had some, uh, a few, our listeners sent a couple questions in. So we just want to kind of get to know you and talk about the game. Okay. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to start with the easiest one here. The one we ask all our guests and we talked to Caleb about who is your favorite villain? Oh man. Um, definitely. I would have to say Venom. He's always been the one that, like, uh, so Spider-Man's always been my favorite hero, uh, and Venom was just the 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 antithesis of, of everything he was ever trying to do. Um, you know, when I was a kid, there was the, the 90s Spider-Man cartoon that was my favorite show in the world, and every time Venom would show up, it was just always the best episode, because, you know, they were always, everything Spider-Man would do, Venom would just completely stop him at. So, um, yeah, I'd have to, have to go with Venom. Right, good. Uh, we don't have Venom in the game yet. Hopefully, we'll see him eventually. Maybe one day. That'd Maybe be one cool. day. Yeah. Uh, so, who's your favorite villain 
currently in the released cards that we have to play against? Oh man, um, I would maybe say either Rhino or Green Goblin. Kind of goes back to that Spider-Man uh, kind of you know villain group. I always, as dorky as he is, I always loved Rhino. He's just this—he's—he's he's a guy wearing a rhino costume like what's not to like but that's all right <laughs> um just charges through stuff and breaks everything yeah he put he breaks and takes <laughs> nate french wrote the best favor like after he wrote that 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 text i was like oh I, I can never top it like i don't even know if i should write any more flavor text in the game that is by far the uh the rhino is breaking things and taking them <laughs> That's definitely my favorite piece of. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, I was going to ask you who wrote that, so it was Nate. Excellent. Okay. We, so we he he thought up the name "Breaking and Taken." Like we had gone through development, we were right at the end. We're uh, making the cards and and the program that we use. And uh, usually at that end step, you know, we sit down as a, as a development group, and that's when we come up with a lot of the flavor because we have the art in place, we have all the the final titles, um, the abilities and stuff. And we got to that one, and I threw out some idea. I don't remember what it was. Caleb threw out something, and Nate's like, "Rhino is breaking things and taking them." And we just all looked at each other. And we're like, "Yep, that's what's, that's what's got to go on the card." So, so by far, by far, my favorite piece of it. So from the get go, you understood that the text meant he broke the things before he took them. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Okay. He doesn't want oh, that's great. things. Like he's the rhino; they have to be broken. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Well, that resolves a really long, ongoing issue that we've had among ourselves <laughs> about the origins <laughs> and the meaning of that. <laughs> All right. So who is responsible for FFG's anti-villain policies? Is mostly <laughs> is it you or someone else? It would definitely be beyond my pay grade, even mm -hmm. though I am the supreme overlord. Like, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's beyond me. Right. Because we've like noticed right it. We've right noted there. multiple times that there is a sad disparity between the way heroes get treated and villains do. Uh, and I'll give one example. <laughs> heroes get their little portrait on the bottom right of their cards. There's not a single villain yet that has had that, even though you know they might be whatever villain. So just, just throwing that out there, it's just one of the examples of how, how they're <laughs> for treatment. I mean, that is a really good point. I'll, yeah. I'll, if you want me to write up an email, I'll, I'll send it to the higher-ups. Uh, that would be great. I, I make it as strongly worded as you want to make it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael, the hard questions will be coming from that side of the room. I just want you to know. That's it. I don't have any other hard questions. I'm done. So, you know, we're all about the encounter sets here, Michael. So you said Rhino is your favorite villain. But in the game, what, what would you say is your favorite encounter set? And with that, like um, maybe an encounter set and a modular set combo that you really like to pit against the players? Oh, oh, that's a good question. Um, I am particularly partial to Claw and to the uh, second Green Goblin scenario, the Mutagen Formula one. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. In both of those I have a lot of fun with. I like how they, they've got different dynamics. They both got, you know, quite a few strong minions that you gotta deal with, but uh, kind of the the just the problems that they're throwing 
out. Like I think a lot of different decks can handle those scenarios in different ways. So if, I guess if I had to pick between them, I would probably go with with maybe Claw. Um, I, I'm I'm always pretty excited to play that scenario. And pairing him with, I, I think he he goes really well with a lot of different pairings. But I, I usually if I if I mix anything with him outside of his normal sort of pre-built suggested, uh, it's usually the the um, I'm blanking on his name right now. The Electro Encounter set, the one that oh, like discards a ton of cards. Yeah, Power Drain. Thank you. I just I yeah. like how just quick that makes the Encounter deck. It really adds this like extra level of tension. And I, I it does. It does. I, yeah. Yeah, and I always love when the acceleration tokens go on the main scheme too. Like I don't know why, but that's just one of my favorite elements of the Encounter deck. So the more of those I can get, I mean, it's super stressful, but it's also I just I just enjoy it at the same time. Thank you. That's awesome. So we mentioned uh, Electro here and a bunch of of uh, characters. Do you read any of the comics? Do you have a favorite series? I know you said you really like Spider-Man as a kid. How about as an adult? Uh, I mean, I assume you're an adult. I mean, we aren't, but we probably are. <laughs> I, I think we, I we am, play yeah. adults on TV. Yeah. So, <laughs> you guys stacked on top of each other with the French character. <laughs> um, I would say, so generally speaking, I... I tend to read the comics of whatever you know I'm working on at the time, um, and whenever I finish with that thing, I just have to you know move on to the the next project and also the next comics around that project. Um, so unfortunately, I don't get to follow long story arcs as much as I I'd like to. But I know that like you know some of my past readings, there were a couple like uh, characters that I discovered that I thought were uh, a lot of fun, like. Uh, and uh, I, I'm a I'm a really big fan of Miss Marvel, which who I discovered through working on this game, uh, and she's got some just silly villains. So the, her her nemesis uh, set deals with um, uh, Thomas Edison, who's like this cloned version of the inventor, but somehow he gets like mixed with like parakeet DNA, and he's this weird like bird person who claims he's not a bird, even though he's clearly a bird. Uh, so I, uh, as far as like encounters and villains and stuff go, I, I haven't read a lot of those comics uh, as much as I have, like uh, the heroes and stuff. I feel like a lot of times the hero comics are what drives the overall story. But uh, within those comics, there's always a lot of like colorful characters and stuff. That are a, lot of fun. a lot of colorful villains. Yeah, we um, we recorded uh, the Thomas Edison set early on in our podcast days. And I also got to discover Miss Marvel by doing that, like, oh, who is this? Who's and that's a great read. That's a good set of books. Um, a lot of fun. And Daniel does a great Thomas Edison impression. So <laughs> people have to go back to like episode three or something, and they can hear it. <laughs> it was the um, it was the Nemesis set voted for us to talk about first. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Our one listener voted three times for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's talk about something uh, more about the game here. So maybe this goes along with that, but how is it determined, like which villain or enemy characters or even campaign box that, that you guys are going to do next? Is there a Caleb had mentioned once you guys have a long plan planned out? Are you staying on track with that? Who determines you know who determines what's next, or how do you determine what's next? Yeah, so we sat down a long time ago, right? I, I believe it was right after we had finished developing the core set to kind of determine um, what our next step steps forward were going to be. Um, 
so you know everyone at ffg really loves the marvel movies and you know they're kind of renowned for making these super long plans and kind of telling this cohesive story throughout all of their movies until they're sort of you know all culminated into infinity war and endgame um and we thought that was just a really cool thing to to emulate um so we sort of like sat down and tried to as best as we could you know sometimes things are going to change sometimes production schedules are going to shift around but uh we tried to really plan out what all of our next steps were going to be for the next few years and for the most part yeah we, we we've adhered to that um that plan was submitted to, I believe, pretty much all of the higher-ups at FFG. The head of studio at the time, Andrew Navarro, took a look at it. Nate French, who is the uh, the lead game designer for the, the head of development, I believe, um, he, he had a big part in it. Caleb, myself, a bunch of other people. So it was sort of this this group effort to, to determine, you know, what we felt was the best way to sort of present the, the Marvel universe to our players. Um, and yeah, we, we, we stick to that pretty well for the most part. Have you had to change in those plans based on what Marvel or the licensing has told you guys? Has that ever come up? Not so much. Marvel has been very, um, they've allowed us to, to really have a lot of creative freedom. Like I, I, I personally don't know of an instance where we've sent them you know, an idea of something we wanted to do and they've just flat out said no or anything like that, or, oh, you have to change your, your pack releases or your expansion releases in any certain way. Um, they, they've been really receptive to pretty much everything that we've wanted to do creatively. So we really, we, we've had a couple shifts here and there, which are just sort of a natural process of development. That's always going to happen on any game line. Things are going to sometimes move around, but those shifts have really come about internally. It's it's been things that we've decided were good for the game, not anything that we've been forced to do. Michael, do you get a sense that they even kind of do you get a sense that they have an idea of what these games are even all about? You know what I mean? Like like they're yeah. saying yes, they're saying yes, no, and whatever to licensing stuff. But like this LCG world is kind of its own realm. Do they sort of understand where this game fits in the broader? FFG spectrum and gaming in general. Yeah, did they ever call you up and say, "Look, that gang up card"? You know, that's just absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Um, that sort of don't do that anymore. Yeah, like, I'm just really curious if they like sort of if they're. I mean, it's all about the license. It's like, look, you just can't do this. You can't do that. Do they see the world that this operates in? I, I, I personally, so we've got a whole licensing department and team. And then, sure. so if I want to communicate with that team, I actually have to communicate with my producer who then sends, you know, sort of the culmination of, of the design team's thoughts and things to the licensing team who sends it on to Marvel. There's multiple steps. So, you know, sure. I've never actually had the pleasure to talk with anyone directly from Marvel. Caleb has, at one point he went out to one of their, um, Right. Uh, one of their headquarters and, and gave like a presentation stuff. But I, I think at first uh, they, I mean, Marvel licenses out a lot of stuff. They do a lot of games and TV shows and merchandise and stuff. So I think at first they did, they were just like, Oh yeah, this, this game studio wants to make a game. Let's, let's do it. You know, it's going to make money. The FFG is a big company, but now that the game's been out for a while, I think they definitely have a better sense of, of where it is. I don't know if they really truly understand the, the you know lcg 
a format as a whole or kind of communities that are built around it. Um, but I would imagine that it would be really hard for them. They, I'd imagine they have such a big purview of everything that it'd be really difficult to like focus in and on any one product. But I know that over time I've heard from our licensing department, from, from my producer and stuff that Marvel has been really happy with, with the game. So I, I think, you know, as That's long great. as the game continues to do well, then I'll continue to, to be happy with it, which is exactly what we want. So, <laughs> yeah. But you never heard, like, along with what Mustafa was saying, it's like, they've never ever interjected about a mechanic or a card or anything like that, have they? No, not, not one time. Every yeah. single okay. thing, to my knowledge, that we've ever sent them, uh, I don't, I, sometimes sometimes we want to do thematic things, and they, they won't necessarily say no, but they'll be like, oh, maybe maybe you can tweak it this way instead. But it's it, that's more of like a creative back and forth, because at the end of the day, they're they're really focused on the story and how we're, representing their characters in the world and stuff but as far as like mechanical things they just, I mean, they just they've been very receptive to all of that is individual scenario design versus like the campaign box that's coming was it treated differently from them in terms of like the theme and the story and like because it's a broader arc you're trying to make in the campaign box i imagine and sure sure yeah i think they had i would imagine there was maybe a little more um no, honestly, I don't know. Now that I think about it, I, I don't sure. know if it was a more detailed review process or not. I, I know that, you know, we sent it on to licensing. Uh, they have, I, I think it generally takes, I forget the time frame for them to, to get Marvel to approve everything, but, you know, it came back mm -hmm. in, in the, the amount of time that, that we were hoping it would. So um, I, I don't really know if, if the individual products have any sort of different review steps at Marvel or anything like that. But um, yeah, up to this point, they've, they've just been very, very easy to work with. They're a lot That's of awesome. That's a, and I guess because, you know, the, the stories the game tells aren't stepping on toes of the universe itself, right? In terms of storytelling. We really try to draw inspiration from what they, right. it's kind of things that we've done in the past and just sort of things that, you know, we've, we've kind of experienced as, as readers and stuff. Uh, Caleb and I collaborate a lot. Caleb actually, honestly, has a much uh, deeper understanding of the world than than I do. I mean, he's been reading the comics ever since he was he was young. Um, I always wanted to read the comics, but my mom wouldn't buy them for me, so um, <laughs> I was left out of the loop a little bit. But I, you know, I always like devoured TV shows and video games and stuff like that. So you know, I, I definitely when we started working on the game, I I, I knew the world, I knew the characters, but the individual subtle stories and elements and stuff like that. I had to play a little bit of catch up with reading the comics. So he, Caleb has really been sort of the, uh, the overseer of, of the greater story we've been trying to tell. Um, and, you know, I've kind of come in there to support him with that type of thing. And I mean, Marvel's just supported us the whole way. So it's been a really good relationship. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I would hope the folks at Marvel working for Marvel would be Marvel nerds and, would be like, hey, I really want to play Ant Man. Give me Ant Man, and you know they send a request <laughs> to you guys. So you did mention Caleb knowing maybe having a greater history with Marvel. I was curious how your role and Caleb's role might differ on the game, or if it does, or if it doesn't. Um, does one of you report to the other? Is it like collaborative completely? How how's that work? Yeah. So Caleb has been at the company. I believe eight, almost nine years. So somewhere in that that ballpark. I've been at the company for three and a half years. So when we when we started the core set, it was myself, Caleb Grace, and, and Nate French. 
Uh, Nate French was the lead on the corset, but after that, it was decided immediately that continuing the game line that Caleb Grace would be the the lead designer and I would be there to support him. Um, and though we're both full time on the game, and it's really Caleb's been really good at at, at almost making it like. Uh, not necessarily that he's, I mean, he technically is the boss. He technically has the final say, but it's very much a collaborative effort between the two of us. And that's something he's really fostered, which I've appreciated. But uh, as far as like our individual roles, we technically really have the same role aside, you know, for the fact that he is the, the final say in decisions. We have kind of divided up things a little bit amongst ourselves. He tends to focus more on the story and, and thematic elements and things like that. Uh, I tend to focus a little more sometimes on uh, kind of the back end processes. Uh, um, one example is like uh, creating the actual cards that people play with. Like we build those in InDesign and stuff. A lot of times I'll have a hand in that process. Um, that's something that I enjoy doing and that's something that's not his favorite thing. So it's just something that we've sort of divided up, you know, amongst could, ourselves. Could you clarify that a bit? What do you mean by that? By building cards in InDesign? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we have these uh, we have these templates that our graphic designers made. They're completely okay. awesome. Uh, and basically, we uh, will open up the template. We'll drop in these frame overlays that our graphic designer will create. So, if I was working on a on a on a hero, let's say uh, Miss Marvel, for instance, um, mm -hmm. our graphic designer will create the templates, or I believe he contracts out these templates to be created. The graphic design department, once those are finished, sends them to the design team. I will go into InDesign and I have this um, sort of uh, almost like pre-constructed, pre-laid out file. And the file has the area for the card title and the cost and the resource and the ability text and the, uh, the, you know, the, the traits and all of the stuff, all of the information that's on the card is already in that template. Um, okay. All of like the, the, the areas that the information will go in. So I'll, I'll load in the, uh, the frames uh, and then I will load in, you know, all of our playtesting text, our, our final versions of the cards. I'll put in the final files, the final abilities and stuff. Uh, there's also, there's a step for loading in all of the art. Um, and basically, yeah, if you've ever used any sort of uh, Adobe program, a lot of them are kind of the same. It's just a layer thing. So the art is on the bottom layer, and then on top of that is the template, and then on top of that is the text. And uh, we're just, we just build every single card like that. And that's that's the design job is to, to build up those cards oh i like okay cool you're typing in the card text as if you're in a photoshop and you call it something else but so you're putting in the data for all these cards we are yeah so actually here uh, over the, i mean you are yeah, yeah 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 we for the core set and i think like maybe the first couple of products afterwards uh i i actually individually card by card would type every single word on the card and it is not a fun process because there are a lot of cards um so if you've ever found a typo on those early products it was probably me i apologize um but after i believe it was like after miss marvel or after thor our graphic designer the uh, the manager of the department created this script that we can run that'll actually generate all of the cards for us we have this like big spreadsheet that we have to create but basically, if I have that spreadsheet in place and a couple other things, I just click a button and it, 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 InDesign will read that spreadsheet line by line and create 
cards based off that spreadsheet, which is amazing. It's something that, you know, would take me days to do before it suddenly takes me a couple of minutes because the, you know, the computer just does it. It runs through its process. It's usually like 10 minutes to build a whole file. So, um, yeah, any, any more, fortunately, I don't have to do that line by line, but in the past I've had to do that with, when, with previous games that I worked on, we had to do it, you know, every single card we had to type in. All this stuff. So have you ever had the urge to kind of sneak something in there at the last moment? <laughs> it, it's a hard urge to fight sometimes. Yeah. 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 You could put something on the flavor text. No yeah. one would notice. Bogs yeah, yeah. is better yeah, than Grace. Yeah. Things Just like that. Real, real, real small. Yeah. Like put it at like three point font or something. Fit in like gray so nobody notices during the, the studio review. That's a good idea. I, can I ask a mechanics related question? Oh, yeah. So, obligation cards. People generally think they're terrible because there's really no decision making involved what was the thought process did you really think that people would pick anything other than go home and exhaust because you know you get to remove the card you exhaust yourself otherwise do something horrible to yourself and just put it back in the discard pile so it would come back did you mean to make the players always pick the go home and exhaust option or was there some other thinking involved there it's so it's actually not it, it seems like it's a choice, but it is very much intended to, to generally be a Fosh choice. We, we've kept that same design for a long time because we feel that it's a... It, Marvel Champions, I think it, it's played by a lot of people who you know, have been into our, our past LCGs, who have a lot of card game knowledge, but we have really tried to structure the game and create the game for players who maybe are newer to LCGs or who aren't as, uh, you know, hardcore gamers, maybe some some of the other players. Um, so those cards, we have always felt are an easy way to kind of tell a story. Like, hey, you're this hero, you're out fighting crime, you're out saving the day, but sometimes you've got these responsibilities back home. And you should probably go home and take care of that, but if you really want to ignore it, then these are the repercussions. And, and you know, that's that's what we've tried to achieve with those. So... Um, I, you know, I definitely feel, and, and I believe Caleb would agree that the first choice is generally the one we want you to make. Uh, but if you've <laughs> got to do the second one, then, you know, the, the thematic repercussions of that are supposed to be felt. And it's not always possible, right? Like you've made Sometimes this you're exhausted for whatever yeah. reason or yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. But it's still not, it's still not a choice. I mean, you could have designed a card that says, go home and exhaust yourself if you're already exhausted this horrible thing happens and then because it's the illusion of choice as you said but it's not really anybody in their right mind or have you know basic analytical skills my nine-year-old <laughs> plays with me and he gets this right would never pick the one that blows up your suit if you're iron man and then has that come back again at the next reshuffle or they can go home and exhaust and the card goes away for good anyway i i always felt like is this something that they thought would be a choice but now that i understand it better you know you never actually meant it to be an actual choice it was i feel it's like uh and i tell my kids you're gonna clean your room or you're grounded they're gonna go clean their room so we're like yeah they, they know better most of it. they know they know what <laughs> right. we should be doing so basically <laughs> what we've learned is that ffg wanted to treat us like we treat our kids when they were designing this card right yeah. exactly right yeah, yeah. But the joke, the joke on everyone now is that we're all grounded. So yeah. whatever. 
Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I was thinking about the obligations, and and there there's some there's sometimes where the there's one hero, isn't there that where the obligations not quite the same? I, uh, Hulk. Hulk. That that's right. Yeah. Uh, Who has been spoiled? And um, but also how liberating it must have been for you guys, from what we know, just on the the press release for Kang, um, to to really change up obligations or how they seem to be just based on that write-up, what it, what it seems like they're going to be like. Are you able to talk a little bit about sort of the design process for the obligations in Kang? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of my knowledge with Kang is a bit of secondhand knowledge. Caleb was the primary designer on that. I guess actually something I should point out and something I forgot to talk about before when I was discussing my role in Caleb's, we tend to sort of leapfrog each other uh, depending okay. on products because we okay. got a lot of products that we're working on simultaneously. Sure, sure. So he'll work on a thing, I'll work on a thing. We're always collaborating, we're always coordinating. You know, if he runs into a problem, if he wants to discuss design stuff, I'm always there and vice versa. Uh, but like Kang is actually a great example. He was the primary there. I helped play test it quite a bit. Uh, I talked with him about a lot of things, but pretty much all the final decisions there were, were his. Okay. Um, but the obligations, I know that that was something he, he actually, we, we were sitting there, I forget what we were discussing exactly. I believe it had something to do with time travel or, or something like that. Um, and we were discussing how to represent time travel, things that we could do to, you know, make the players feel like they needed to sort of change course, make, make new decisions. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't really know exactly what sparked it, but he was like, oh, we could do this obligation thing. We could do that obligation thing. Um, it was it was a design space that he was very excited to explore, and I know in playtesting it was something that right. a lot of playtesters really enjoyed. So, uh, oh, that's great! It's, it's def definitely a design space that we we will probably play around with more in the future too, because it is a really cool thing that we haven't done a lot of before. But you don't you don't feel necessarily like um, beholden to how you designed the original obligations for heroes, or do you feel like? heroes themselves their their obligations that go into the encounter deck do you feel like you have enough wiggle room design wise with those oh yeah we do so obligations are, they're actually something that have come up time and time again um mm -hmm. in that you know we we could we could do anything with them we could we could do wild stuff um but we tend to it kind of goes back to that you know grounding your child thing um of wanting to tell that story of needing, you know, you've, you've got this option, but mm -hmm. you really need to go home. You really should pick this first one as you, if you can. And a lot of heroes, they just fall into that. They have that at-home life. They have things that they need to take care of. Um, but sometimes there are heroes who break that. I think, I think Hulk is a good example where, mm -hmm. yeah, he's got things in his personal life he needs to deal with, but there are other matters that are a bit more important that, you know, he can't necessarily control. Right. And, I, and I think going forward, we're going to see more heroes that sort of run into sort of those special circumstances. And when those special circumstances arise, generally speaking, we're going to try to explore new obligations that, that, uh, will sort sure. of change how we've treated them in the past it could also be used i imagine as like a balancing mechanism too for a hero right oh yeah yeah completely sure. for actually for a long time with hulk um uh hulk had two obligations uh i, I believe when we were doing we did like the ffg live stream for hulk i, I might have brought this up i can't remember but there for a little bit in his design he had two obligations we ended up trimming it down to one at the end 
but it was felt that you know Hulk is he, he was very explosive. We we trimmed a couple things at the end, but you know you'd have some turns where you would just do massive amounts of damage, and that was exciting. But then sometimes you would draw like two obligations in a row and have to flip back and discard cards and stuff. It was very unpredictable, very volatile. Um, so yeah, going forward, I mean, we definitely might see more obligations that you know, depending on the hero, are just totally wild, totally do something to throw you off your game because they are sort of trying to counterbalance what the hero can do so well. Awesome. Well, I know Mustafa would love that. I would. <laughs> On that kind of thought process, with Kang, we see some new traits and keywords, mechanics like um, insight and piercing, the obligation. Villainy. Villainous, right? Yeah, is that right? Yeah. Is, is that what it is? So how do you guys decide like the balance on when to introduce new mechanics or keywords in the game? How do you decide to maybe use one or abandon one or stop using it? Like the word peril is in the RRG, but we've never seen it. I'm curious, like how, how do you juggle that information overload maybe to the players? Too many things or? That is a big part of it because we want to keep the game, you know, a, a little more focused toward that more casual audience. Uh, we, for a long time, we really avoided um, too many keywords just because it is that extra layer that you have to learn. And we also wanted to wait as long as we felt was reasonable before we introduced anything new. I, I believe, yeah, there were no new keywords in Green Goblin or Wrecking Crew. By the way, maybe Wrecking Crew had like the permanent keyword or something like that. But I, I think that was it. Um, with the, you know, the, the Kang encounter set with the, the Hydra box, uh, we felt like both of those products had enough, there had been enough time for players to have learned the game and have a solid foundation to say, okay, we can kind of step up the complexity a little bit more. So landing on the specific keywords that we were wanting to use, like that that honestly just takes a lot of playtesting. Insight was actually one that for a long time, um, I think Caleb actually drew inspiration from Lord of the Rings for that one. I think there's a keyword in there. I can't remember what it's called, but it effectively does doom. Yes, thank you. Yeah, you draw a card and it, it does yeah. something with thread. Or I've only played Lord of the Rings like twice in my life. So, um, But I know that Caleb talked extensively about how he felt that was a very valuable keyword. Sometimes you'll have that encounter card that like you draw and you're like, oh, that's not a big deal. But if it just has that one extra threat, suddenly it just adds that extra layer. And it's also a threat that you can't cancel. Like a lot of cards that say, you know, cancel a win revealed ability, it doesn't work on that. So the threat's going on there anyway. Um, other words like uh, piercing, that one just came about over time through playtesting and stuff. I think there was some ability that we had that like effectively knocked off a tough status card and then dealt some damage. And we both agreed that that would just be cool to be able to explore in other places. Uh, and then villainous was actually one that that was a bit of a back and forth. That that was a, a keyword that I created. I don't remember for what context. I believe it had something to do with the Hydra box. It was one of the minions in there. Um, and I play tested it a bit. I got some really good feedback. Uh, talked to Caleb about it. And he felt that it was maybe a little too, uh, just a little too heavy because it's a multi-step process. You're effectively, you know, giving a minion that entire attack or, or scheme activation step of drawing the encounter card, adding the boost icons, doing the boost ability, all of that type of stuff. Uh, it's very involved. It's very heavy. Um, so Caleb was a little bit against it, but over time we, we kind of came around to agree that, you know, it should be used for those, those minions that 
they're not like a low level minion, but they're not quite a villain. They're they're just right there on the cusp. They are villainous, um, and and I think we've both really enjoyed applying it in that context. So every keyword kind of comes about differently. It's kind of you know they're all discovered in different ways, um, but it, it's almost always due to you know some sort of play testing or feedback or, or something in that regard. Well, based on that, Michael, the keyword should actually be villainesque. Villainesque. Just saying. That's all erotic. <laughs> I'll put out a rules reference. Villain adjacent. Villain adjacent. There we go. Yeah. Well, if you, if you wanted to give villains uh, a chance to actually win some games, you could have said <laughs> all elite minions get to do this because they're all kind of up there. Madame Hydra, uh, she's pretty villainesque, uh, we would like to think. <laughs> Um, and they already have that keyword, like they're elite. Um, sure. yeah. So, but so far, elite doesn't seem to do much. Um, but we'd like to see it do something cool. It definitely will. Elite's one of those words that uh, Matt Newman was actually the the reason that elite even exists in our game. I, I forget it was some minion early on. What I I, I think it was. Let's say it's Tiger Shark or. Whirlwind, one of those, I believe, in Claw. Uh, we felt that you know his power level was just a little bit above everyone else's, and we wanted to make him special in some way. And Matt was like, "Oh, you guys should do Elite. I've used that 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 um, trait to good effect in, in Arkham Horror quite a bit." Uh, the more we talked about it, we were like, "Yeah, maybe it's not something that we'll see immediately, but it opens up design space down the road where we could have you know a side scheme that boosts all Elite minions or." You draw a treachery that says all the elite enemies attack you or something like that. Or you have, you know, cards that say defeat a non-elite character or something to that effect. So, uh, yeah, there's there's definitely room. We've, we've kind of planted a lot of seeds. And because we want to keep things simple, we're trying to, like, sprout them very slowly. But I think for the most part, the next few cycles, we'll, we'll see a lot of those things in the core set that really didn't come to fruition, uh, you know, much more grown out over time. Right, Eddie. You, 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 so here's a here's a free one. Uh, you, you guys don't have to pay us anything for this. Uh, <laughs> but guards can guard elites as well because they're worthy of guarding. So you couldn't attack an elite minion in front of you if there was also a guard. Yeah, I mean that would be a really cool ability. A side scheme environment. I could see a bunch of bunch of ways to represent that. Would be really cool. Let's do a, a fun question here. Uh, we've been getting kind of serious. So let's <laughs> pretend that you are a hero in the Marvel Universe. Okay. okay. Which villain is so cool or whatever other reasons you would just love to get – you'd be happy to get beat up by that? Oh, man, his name is Spot. He's a Spider-Man villain. He can create these, like, little black hole portal things. He's got them, like, all, all over his body, and he can just, like, throw them out. And then he can punch through the, the portal, and it'll, like, punch Spider-Man in the face. I would love to get beat up by him. Are you making that okay. up? No, no, no. I forget what his name is. I'm actually going to search that right now. Uh, Spot. Love Spot. Spot was like on the Spider-Man cartoon when I was little. Uh, oh, uh, Jonathan Ohm. Or Ohm, rather. Jonathan Ohm. Yeah, he's just got like these interdimensional portals that he, he can just reach through. And they're like, they're, they're all like these little black spots all over his body. He's like, he like wears a white costume with like these little black dots. And Spider-Man will like try to punch him sometimes. Spider-Man's fist will go into the black dot and then come out another black dot. It's, he's real weird, but I just, I don't know. For some reason, I have a special place in That's my heart. It's actually kind of nightmarish the way you describe it. <laughs> it is. 
Like, I don't understand why he hasn't come back more. He's he seems super powerful. I think he just haunted too many people. <laughs> That's just freaky. And man, you you said spotlight, right? No, no hesitation. No, you were there. You were, you were totally there. Thought, yeah, I, yeah. For some reason, there's something like beyond his powers. I don't know anything about his personality or anything like that. I believe he was only in like two episodes that I ever saw as a kid. But there was just something about those episodes that like I just always remembered it. But thirty years later, like it's just always stuck in my head. So. Okay, so how about the uh, the distribution model, the pre-packed hero decks? Whose idea was that? How'd you guys come up with that idea for, for the way you guys are distributing this game? That was actually something that we decided as a uh, development team, myself, Caleb Grace, and Nate French, before we even started development on the core set. So whenever a whenever we're you know we're creating a new game we have to pitch that new game idea to the upper management and they have to decide, you know, if this new game is, is worth exploring, if it's something we want to make with Marvel champions. Luckily we were in the situation where we already knew, yes, we wanted to make that game. We had the Marvel license. We're like, we're going to make a card game around that. Um, and you know, the three of us had been tasked with developing that into a product. Uh, but as far as what that product looked like, how it played, all of those elements like that was all be, to be determined. And that was all stuff that we needed approvals on. So, um, you know, very, very, like at the very beginning, three of us would sit down and have these meetings every single day. And, you know, we'd talk about what Marvel means to us, uh, you know, how we wanted to represent it to the player community and all that stuff. And we very quickly landed on this idea of... Um, player empowerment within the game, but also just about how you know, Marvel is very, I think I think the reason that it's become so popular, the reason it's you know one of the biggest franchises in the world is because there's really a little bit of something for everyone. Like, you know, there's characters from all, all backgrounds, all cultures, all over the world are, are you know, these, these superheroes who are awesome or, you know, super villains in the context of the show. Um, and, uh, you know, just everyone can kind of look at that universe and say, like, I have a I can see a character that in some way I can relate to. Um, and so we, we felt that we wanted to not only represent that in the game, we, we wanted to sort of showcase that in the our product model. Um, and we decided that, you know, just having products that were extremely easy to jump into being able to just go buy a deck off the shelf, sit down and play it with your friend was something we hadn't done in our other LCGs. So there's a lot of exciting space there, but it just really helped double up on this idea of, of being able to bring anyone into the game at any time. So uh, we, we put it in our presentation for the, the entire game line. And I believe that was like one of the few things that everybody was like, oh yeah, that's an amazing idea. Let's definitely do that. Like anytime you go through those presentations, there's always feedbacks, thoughts, and suggestions like that. But everyone across the board in FFG was just like, yes, that that's exactly how we want to release our product. So yeah, and that's just that kind of we we just try to run with that as best we can. Yeah, I, I know I've heard some people say they really like this distribution model. So I think you guys did a pretty good job with the uh, catering to the casual players well, I, this way every player uh, well personally i want to say a big thank you to whoever thought of uh the idea that we don't have to buy three core sets to actually get to play the game that was <laughs> yes that was yes. a huge plus for everybody involved i don't know 
whether this game would have caught on as i mean you definitely have the kind of level right as to what kind of player you're aiming for uh who might not be into lcgs um but people who are into lcgs and i've played a lot of them it was a relief knowing that all i had to do was get one core set sure yeah, that that actually came. That was Andrew Navarro, who was the head of the studio at the time. We were actually at the very end of the core set, and the core set was going to be you know one to two players, three to four if you buy a second copy, uh, because that's how we had done every other core set. And, and I believe those past core sets, the reason we had done them that that way was because of production costs and and production reasons. Like it was never something internally where we were like, yeah, players are going to love this. It was. More of a just a method to you know keep prices down and make sure that 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 we well, were the party oh, the party the party line and that was always eighty percent or whatever of the people who play this game are casual and buy a corset right like sure and that's it and so like the Discord people and the the universe that we've all built up about these games is we're a small percentage of. The actual purchasers of the game, I imagine, right? Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I, like when I when I I started at Fantasy Flight with Netrunner as a Netrunner player, I only ever bought one core set because that's all I felt that I needed. But then I would go to tournaments and people would have you know three copies of every single card. And the only way they can get those is to buy three core sets. So the really you know gamers that are really into the game. They're going to buy more, but most people like they're just going to buy the one that they feel they need, which is you know most people don't need every single copy of every single card. But for this game, we felt that having the ability to sit down with three of your friends and play right off the bat, whether it's your friend group or your family or whatever it is, like that's important. That's what Marvel should be about. It should it should be a you know a big group fun event. So uh, we were right at the end of the the you know the finish line right about to send the uh, product off to production and andrew navarro was like you know what no we're gonna we're gonna expand this from one to two player to three to four and everyone on the development team was like yes please that would be amazing so we didn't even think we could do it we didn't think it like it was a feasible option but um we yeah we, we definitely learned that it, it, it is like we've only heard good things from the community about that well that band deserves a promotion if he has an <laughs> so you did mention you you know, you worked on Netrunner before you came to Marvel. So have you found it at all a difficult process or have you had to change any of your processes going from the competitive game mindset to the cooperative game mindset? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's totally different. And there are definitely similarities, um, but it was it was certainly an adjustment for sure. Um, I, I think, you know, in, in any sort of competitive game, your primary focus it needs to be balanced, right? You don't you don't want to create cards that are just going to completely mess up the meta. And on top of that, beyond just creating cards that mess up the meta, you have to constantly pay attention to the the meta. And you know, all this faction stronger, so we need to do things to bring them down. Or this faction's not doing very well, we need to bring them up. Um, and it's 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 constantly this uh, juggling act. Cooperative games have that, of course, to a certain extent. We want to make sure that the cards we're creating are exciting and fun and things are balanced and the aspects are, you know, all relatively close to one each other, to one another in, in, in terms of their strength and whatnot. But really at the end of the day, the, the main thing that we're trying to do with cooperative games is 
is A, tell a story and B, create these memorable moments with your friends. So those two things really take priority over everything else. Um, and it's, it's, it's not as much of, I honestly, personally, I feel like working on a cooperative game is a lot more involved creatively, creatively, there we go, um, than a competitive <laughs> game, mostly because you are trying to balance these mechanics and these stories and, and really tell this narrative and in a much more cohesive way than you are with competitive games. So there's challenges to both, but. And, and it took me a while to, to make the adjustment for sure. I think I agree with you that narrative is very important. I think one of the main reasons that people play this game is that the stories they can tell and they can tell together. I I mean, I play it solo every once in a while, but it's just definitely not quite the same experience if I'm playing it by myself than if I'm playing with others. But there's a there's an issue, and I don't know how to solve this other than moving the game to a one versus many model. The the villain side, we like to kind of moan about how weak the villains are on this show. I don't know if you've picked up on that yet. Um, <laughs> it's it's dependent on randomness, right? I, I guess that's the that's the same kind of basic mechanism that you have to have if you're going to have one against many. There is a random deck of cards that give the villain various powers and trigger various events. But that itself can be a big challenge to design because you're not randomness by definition is not going to give you a lot of consistency. Do you guys do a lot of thinking around that? I, I suspect you do. And what are the things you do to try to address that issue? Yeah, I actually, I, I for me, I, I feel like that's probably the most challenging thing. Uh, when creating encounter cards is 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 making a deck that feels intelligent but is just a random assortment of cards it, it's it's hard to do it's really hard to do like sometimes i i've been working on the game for like two years now and i still struggle with it sometimes like it's it's something that caleb and i constantly talk about you know not not necessarily directly like how do i make this feel intelligent but very much like how do you how do you make it feel like this um there's a villain there. Exactly. How do you, yeah? How do you make it feel like a villain? How do you make it feel like it, it is telling a story itself? And it's it really at the end of the day, I think just relying on on tester feedback is probably the most important thing we can do. Just relying on on our, our players to tell us what they're finding fun, what they're finding engaging, um, and if they really feel like that villain is is acting in not only intelligent ways but also thematic ways, like. I don't know of another way to solve it outside of just extensive testing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not like you're building incredibly like large encounter decks, right? So let's say an encounter deck for a villain is about 20, 25 cards. Is that accurate? Uh, generally speaking, yeah. If we're making just the villains set without any modules, yeah, just, yeah, right yeah just, just the villain like to make them cohesive. And you don't want to, like, I imagine you don't want to do too many duplicates because... That's just kind of lame, right? Like, yeah, people get real frustrated with it. Yeah, yeah. If like the villain actually had only five cards, but that would... but Daniel, I'm going to interrupt you. How many times have we said why is there only one of this card in this deck? A lot, because some cards do deserve to be there in multiple copies, in our opinion. Well, and it, I I guess so, but like you know, Rhino has his dupes and stuff like that. But like, you don't want to make it more than a duplicate. 
if it's a sure. signature card, right? But so I'm just thinking, is there is there a difference between like the intelligent villain and then like the design of an encounter set? Like, there's really no way to give a villain agency in this game other than a really tightly designed encounter set, right? So how do you? Yeah. How tight can yeah. you make it? I guess is my question. And there's got to be so it's kind of in some ways it's almost like a double-edged sword. If you don't make it cohesive enough, then it it does just truly feel like a it feels like oh they're just throwing out random effects, but also and podcasts like ours are going to get all pissed at you, right? <laughs> Sometimes you can put these players in a situation where like um, just as an example, you might have you know you might draw something that puts a minion into play engage with you and then that next encounter card that you draw is a gang up and all of a sudden it's like oh crap like just last turn i was doing okay but suddenly i'm in this position where my back's against the wall i wasn't expecting that 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 feels good kind of in a bad way right you're you're <laughs> um so you to us, to us that feels great yeah exactly so you you definitely want to capture those moments but if you lean too heavily into those, sometimes it almost creates this, um, you don't want the puzzle to be too easy to solve. If the player can just look at it and say, I need to do exactly this to avoid what the villain's trying sure, to sure. do, then that's also bad in, in the same way. So it, it's, it's really just this balance of finding the middle point. And, and some scenarios, some villains, it's, it's much easier to do than others. Um, it's, it's something that I've had to learn. I think it's also something Caleb's had to learn because our encounter deck structure is pretty different from Lord of the Rings and whatnot. So, um, I think it's something, it's a process that we'll always be trying to, to refine and get better at. Yeah. So that refinement includes your play testers, right? Um, have you guys encountered any additional challenges with the state of the world, COVID-19 and all that sort of stuff impacting your play testing or your development and those sort of things? Honestly, no. Uh, when we first decided, I think it was back in March, we decided as a studio that we were going to start working from home. Uh, you know, everyone was a little bit worried that things would get pushed back, move around, that we wouldn't be able to do the processes that we were used to doing. Um, it was told to us as a studio multiple times, like, you know, oh, you're supposed to hit your deadlines, but if you can't, it's not that big a deal. We'll, we'll find workarounds and stuff. but. To my knowledge, like it really hasn't changed much of anything for us. I, I I will say that personally, I have found it a lot easier. I don't have to travel to work every day. I don't have to worry about like taking lunch with me or anything like that. I can just I can just go to my computer and focus on work and do exactly what I need to do. So, in a lot of ways, it's it's made me more efficient. Um, as far as our playtesting goes, I know at first it was hard for a lot of people. I, I think uh, players have gotten used to it over time. We get a lot more single-player feedback than we have in the past, which is good. We definitely want the single-player feedback. Um, but I, I will say that Caleb and I both agree that at the end of the day, we really feel like this game shines its brightest when it's at two players or three players, when you can you know, come up with new strategies with your friend and you can just share those moments together. So single-player is super valuable, and we want to make the game as fun as possible in that mode. But um, we... A lot of times we are hoping for more, you know, two-player and three-player experiences and four-player experiences as well. Um, it's made that process a little more difficult, but I think we've gotten by just fine. I think our, our, our playtesters have really adapted and helped us out quite a bit. It's good to hear. Okay, so 
I'm going to ask, we're going to ask some silly questions here. I'll go first. So who, between you and Caleb, do you think is the better villain? Just in your daily lives. Oh, man. Who um, the other one better is what he's really asking. <laughs> um, I think that I have to go with Caleb. I think Caleb's the better villain. See, now you threw him under the bus, which makes you the oh, better villain. Oh, I mean, that, maybe that's true. Maybe I'm just the honest <laughs> yeah, Maybe he would be like, maybe he would lie and say, oh, it's Boggs. But everyone knows it's not me. I think that was a catch-22. All right. So here we go. There are parts of your job, and you, you, you can lie and say that they don't exist. But we know that there are parts <laughs> of your job that are just boring, uh, repetitive, and just not fun. What are those parts that you would like to delegate to a minion? Uh, at <laughs> Or do you actually like tedious work so that you, 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 you don't need any evil minions to help you out? Actually, there's, there's one. So uh, every time we're working on a new product, we have to... A lot of the art that you see in the game, a lot of the, the, the pieces that we actually paid for and, and commissioned as a studio... The designers will write these um, blurbs of kind of what they want to see in the art description. Like if I was writing a blurb for Spider-Man, I might say like Spider-Man is swinging through New York City uh, and he is about to attack a villain. Something like that, right? We'll send that to the art department. The art department will curate the, the entry uh, once they're satisfied with it and, you know, with all of the other art descriptions that we wrote, because we have to write these big batches at a time, they will delegate these uh, art descriptions out to individual artists. The artists will create the art. And after a couple months, we'll get the art back fully fleshed out and, and colored and all that stuff. Once that process is finished, that, that process has some tediousness, but for the most part, it's pretty fun. You get to be creative. Once that process is done, you have to create what is uh, called an art list, which is effectively all of the pieces of art either the ones that we created or the ones that we found from the comics or anything like that have to create this massive spreadsheet that we send to the graphic designers who then crop the individual pieces of art to fit on the actual card frames um, sometimes they'll have to you know paint over things or do color correction stuff like that that process of creating the art list is the most tedious thing in the world because i'm just going through each piece of art and just copying the file name, putting it in the spreadsheet and copying the file name, putting it in the spreadsheet. <laughs> and it takes a long time because there's a lot of art. You do multiple products at once. So if I could get someone to do that, that would be awesome. I think that is the exact same answer Caleb gave when he was on think, the show. Yeah, that it's it definitely, in my opinion, it's the worst part. It's a necessary part. I mean, if we want art in the game, we have to do it, but it is not fun at all. It it makes me more excited to like have an art show. Yeah, like well, cool. not not based on what you just said. You have to do, Michael, but like <laughs> like the other people who see that and like take the original art and have to like paint over it or like like how to crop it and stuff like that stuff fascinates me. Like, oh yeah, I love seeing yeah. the graphic design process. I am not a graphic designer by any means, but. Sometimes in my free time, I'll dabble in Photoshop and stuff, and um, I, I totally agree. It's always amazing. Sometimes we'll send, generally speaking, the, the pieces that we commission, that we pay for, those come back in a dimension that will fit almost perfectly into the frame. We, we like send the yes. artist. We, we need it, these pixels by these pixels that size. So that's never a problem. 
it's a lot of times it's the, the pieces that we find from comics because you've got characters overlapping each other, multiple sure, frames yeah. and stuff. Like sometimes I'll send a piece to our graphic designer and I'll be like, uh, I hope this will work. And he'll send me back something that's just like, you could never tell that it belonged to anything else beyond the, the card frame that it's in. So it's, it's absolutely amazing to watch that stuff. From the beginning of my time playing Fantasy Flight games was, I was so drawn in by the art. I mean, Lord of the Rings is a beautiful game. Oh, yeah. Game of Thrones might have been the first game I ever bought from Fantasy Flight. And it, too, it was just beautiful art. And I don't know. It's important. To me, anyway, it's like a super important element of the game. I totally agree. I mean, that was that was one of the things that, that caught my eye with. Uh, I think Netrunner was the first Fantasy Flight game I ever played. And the first time my friend showed me the game was just like, this is awesome. Like some of the pieces, they're just so memorable. Like the, just the way everything's cropped and put together. It's the graphic design team. I, I, I will brag on them a little bit. They are very impressive. Like they constantly get stuff back from them. And I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you don't appreciate how good the art is, but you can, a bad piece of art can definitely take you out of it or will get a lot more attention than a really good piece of oh. art in the games just because the FFG art is always so good. I was going to say, I, I, I've always felt like graphic design is one of those disciplines, like if someone does it really well, then you don't even notice it. Sometimes I'll go to like websites and stuff, or as weird as it sounds, sometimes like I'll be like in a store and I'll see some, like a shampoo bottle or something, and you just look <laughs> at the product and that's just what it is, but you don't really think about all of the work and effort that goes into the fonts and the colors and the placement and the shadows and just all of that stuff, like it, it's it needs to be seamless because the moment it's not, then suddenly you're like, oh man, that's ugly. That really stands out, and it, it's not intended to it in a certain way. Like in other ways, it definitely needs to stand out. True. I was going to say that a great piece of art, you will not notice. True, but we do notice it. We we we've we've remarked on the art multiple times. Some of them do kind of get themselves noticed, and. It, you know, I don't know who just said that it's always good, but we've also noticed when it's not that great, and they do exist. Not that many, but th there are definitely ones that kind of make you go, "What were they thinking?" <laughs> we we definitely try to. I think with this game more than than a lot of our other games, especially more than a lot of our previous games, we wanted to get a large variety of art styles, mostly just to to bring about that feeling of comics, like. There's a lot of different comic books, a lot of different art styles. I really love, for instance, Miss Marvel style. But if you like look at a Miss Marvel comic compared to someone like uh, like uh, Captain America, for instance, like a lot of times their styles are very different. There was a comic that I was reading a little while back, and I won't say which character it was for, uh, but its style was wildly different from anything else I'd seen. So uh, I think Marvel, you know, tends to really try to give a lot of variety, a lot of visual variety. And we've tried to do the same. And, and I definitely agree there are some pieces that are stronger than others. There are definitely pieces that are more beautiful than others. But um, I think at the end of the day, as long as we kind of capture that comic book feel, that, that's the most important thing to us. No, I think that's, that's mostly true. I, I think we have mostly been impressed by how good the art is, with some few exceptions. And I do... Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying really hard to not say Winter Soldier ally. <laughs> I'm trying really hard. Well, also, you know, you notice you mentioned that there is a lot of variety in the source material, but I think you guys have also done a good job in having 
some sense of overall art style that kind of ties all these cards together. It's not like when I look at my cards, there are ones that jump out by being so very different. I mean, yes, there's definitely variety, but there seems to be some, maybe that's just a coincidence and my brain is telling me just because I'm looking at a, a deck that they are all tied together. But I do feel like there's parts of the art that, that I can't really put my finger on, but whether it be the villain decks or the or the or the hero decks, they, they do seem like there's a give you a unified feel. I don't know whether you guys ever thought about that or not and just making it up, but I do want to note that too. I, I appreciate that. Most of that, pretty much all of the visual elements come down to the art directors and, and for a long time the the previous head of studio andrew navarro uh, he was originally i believe a graphic designer um and he i i think i i was told that you know there he jumped between multiple departments throughout his tenure at ffg uh and a lot of times the departments that he was in were they were kind of visually creative um so he always had a very strong I guess not strong opinions, but he definitely had opinions on on the art that we picked and stuff. Um, we we kind of have a it's not a hard rule necessarily, but we we tend to try to avoid the um, very lifelike painterly pieces, not because they're not beautiful. Like Caleb and I have tried multiple times to use those pieces as card art, but because they are so striking in comparison with a lot of the other pieces. Um, and I think in avoiding the more painterly pieces, everything does sort of have a, a certain level of cohesion. I, I think there are pieces that stand out uh, sort of as, as outliers, but for the most part, a lot of our Marvel comics, even when their art styles are different, they do share some base similarities. Cool. Well, so, so back to the silly questions, because it's, you know, oh, yeah. art, art, <laughs> just, art just turns things real, you know? So one one is about design and one is about sort of, who you are as a person. So I'll start with the latter. What hero do you love hearing about getting completely thrashed by a villain? Um, and why is it Iron Man? <laughs> yeah, probably, probably Iron Man or uh, probably, actually, you know what? No, Captain America. I just want to see yes. him get punched in the face. Yes, I like to see that smug face getting punched as well. Yeah, yeah, he's way too smug. Like yep. he doesn't even do it. He just runs in and throws a shield. Who cares? Like he can't fly or shoot in or do anything cool. So yeah. self-righteous <laughs> too. I'm Captain yeah, yeah. America. Okay. So you're good. saying because he actually lacks superpower, he should be beat up? Yes. That, yeah, Absolutely. same reason that Batman should be beat up too. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree totally. <laughs> Batman, I've never understood the appeal. He he has <laughs> he has serum whatever that is, but he's basically a poser. That's that, that that's completely right. The next time Caleb's on the show, make sure you bring that up, rub that in, because Captain America. <laughs> so then, what is the appeal of Captain America? Just because he's actually a ninety-year-old man or something? I don't get. It. I don't. <laughs> I think to a certain extent, he has, he has charisma. Is that it? He has he has leadership skills. Okay. He, I think it's also did. like that he's supposed to be like the embodiment of good in a way of like you know noble ideas but uh that's 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 rehashed and old school like we need new superheroes totally agree we don't we don't need the the chiseled jaw white dude anymore really 
Well, so. it's not the color of his skin, really. We're not going to judge <laughs> him by the color of his skin, but the, by the fact that he, I mean, now we're really getting off topic, but let me just unload this. <laughs> Are we? The fact that he's not supposed to have any kind of bad things about him. He's, he's a very black and white, no pun intended. Uh, but he, he doesn't have bad things because he's like actually a product of an earlier time, right? And that earlier time was actually where bad things also existed. Well, not. I don't get. I don't, I've never understood Captain America. He just seemed like you're too villainous for him. I think that's he why just, he just seemed to be like the superhero apology for all the horrible things that have ever happened. I don't know. No, I, I don't like him. You I can't stand it. Captain you, America. You, you Thank you, Michael, for it. saying Captain America. That's all I'm saying, <laughs> Daniel. You could look at it as a as a relic of a more innocent past where people wanted not to see the horrible things and wanted to imagine a world where there was an absolute sure but i I believe that we can look back and understand that those were not innocent times true lord but but again and i can't believe i'm apologizing for captain america here but i can't either (laughs) who are you and what have you done with most of us yeah, really. I feel like we, before we pick on him, we have to we have to accept him as what he is. He is he is a product of his time, where maybe because it was so bad that there was this desire to escape into this world where there was this kind of flawless model of good. And his name no, was America. I, no, I agree with Michael. He's a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I started a few, which isn't quite what he said. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> We're not supposed to like any of the heroes, anyways. That's what I was saying. This is a villain pod. We can crap on anyone we want to. Nobody's going to admit they want to see Miss Marvel, the teenage Pakistani girl, get beat up, right? Uh, <laughs> or or Spider Man, the the high school kid. I mean, it's got to be somebody else. It could be Stark so. with his, you know, oh look at me, yeah. I'm rich and you yeah. know, smart. All right, I think we've gotten. <laughs> well, we're still on topic, but let's let's get back to Michael. All right, so then my other question, my guy, I said I had two silly questions. The other one was, um, so the game's been out for a while, two years in. If you could go back and redesign an encounter card or revamp it or whatever, what would it be? How, what would you do? I can't remember the card off the top of my head. but So, so I, I was the, the primary developer on the Green Goblin uh, expansion pack. That first scenario, um, uh, risky, risky thank you risky business that was one of those scenarios like we we were play testing that simultaneously with the core set okay and the core set went through some revisions some some design changes that uh we had to ultimately apply to to the green goblin pack and i will admit that at the time i didn't understand the game's balance in the same way that i do now like i've been working on the game much longer now i've done a lot more scenarios and stuff um and at the time was some feedback that that first scenario was just way too difficult. Like Green Goblin flipped like 10 times this game and he dealt like 30 indirect damage. This is just ridiculous. So I kept scaling it back and scaling it back. Um, and there was one card that I changed at the end at uh, something with the, the infamy counters on his on his um, his little environment thing or his criminal counters. I don't, I don't know. It's so long ago. I don't remember now, but it, it used to like <laughs> give him a nice big boost effect 
And uh, someone just like one of my playtesters just railed on that car. Like, oh, I could, this this was no fun. He won the game off of this. I, I hate this card. And so I was like, okay, let's slim it down. And in retrospect, I wish I had just kept it how it was because it added these surprising moments that uh, – Candidly, sure. I think the scenario lacks some of those moments now, and I and I wish it had. So, um, I wish I, I wish I had just not redesigned a card. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, but I guess you have to listen to those playtesters, right? I mean, I mean that's a thing. At the time, we were so early on in the game's life that um, I I was still learning so much about about the balance, and uh, you know that that was that was the very first scenario that I ever designed as a designer, like. Um, I was like, oh yeah, this is this is my time to really uh, apply a lot of the things that I'm excited for. Um, cool. And yeah. to be honest, looking back at that pack, I, I achieved a lot of the things that I wanted to. But um, that scenario, I think, honestly, it, there are some things I would definitely do different with it as a whole. But uh, if I could just tweak, make one tweak, I would just change the card. I, I'd have to look up which card it was, um, but. So we on this podcast, Mike, Michael, we've um, we have our own rule set that we give the villains. Most of us suggested one or talked about one when he said, "Guard also guards elite." So let's say you can errata two cards. Go. Oh man. Um, and and you can choose those cards from the Green Goblin. These, these, these will these will be critical encounter podcast special rules. <laughs> um. I'd if you're gonna to play, if you're gonna play with our house rules, with house rules, maybe I would. I probably let's see here. I think it was Mad Genius actually. I would, I would, I would errata Mad Genius. I think that the Norman Osborn point. Um, I, I believe it's so long ago, but I think it used to make him like scheme with a scheme based off of the infamy counters that were on the the criminal enterprise, something along those lines. So I might errata that. Oh, one. Okay. Uh, and then I might errata one of his side schemes just to make it a little more a little more punchy. I think you could really do any any of the three um, just to give them a little more oomph. I'd probably probably go that route. I, I would still want to capture very similar things. I wouldn't want to you know throw people off their game and, and throw out a totally new wild idea that they hadn't seen before. But I think uh, I think just a little a few tweaks could could uh, go a long way. All right. So I was curious if. Having worked on Netrunner, have you worked on any other FFG games? Yeah, I was uh, I was kind of the secondary on Star Wars Destiny for a long time. Uh, I worked on Keyforge for a little bit. Uh, I think it was set two and set three, I believe. Um, I have helped with Arkham Horror. Uh, helped a little bit with L5R very early on in my tinger at FFG. So kind of bounced around quite a bit. But I would say primarily it was, it was Netrunner. Marvel Champions and Star Wars Destiny. Okay, so you got to work on those, and then you come over to Marvel, and they've seen what you've done. So you get kind of get a little extra leeway. Obviously, it's just you and Caleb. Um, but have you managed to, or have you had any desire to work in any like Easter eggs from those other games into Marvel Champions? Uh, yes, <laughs> I definitely have. Had the desire to, oh. and we might see some of those later. <laughs> oh, excellent. Keep your eyes open mm-hmm. for anyone. Anyone who's uh, who's played Netrunner, the uh, it'll be easy to spot. Cool. Are you gonna get in trouble for saying that? I don't think so. It'll. <laughs> okay. We'll 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 see. If, we'll see. if so, yeah. we can edit that out. <laughs> it definitely wasn't an Easter egg that I was like, 
hiding from anyone. Like it was an Easter egg that okay. everyone at the company saw. And they're like, oh, that's awesome. So yeah. And, and I think Caleb's done the same thing with Lord of the Rings and stuff. Uh, it's it's almost hard not to do. You know, some of the ideas are, are the same or sometimes you're coming up with card titles and you're like, it just works so well. I think Matt, uh, he suggested things that are from Arkham and stuff. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost avoidable to a certain extent. Yeah, I can think of Desperate Defense from Lord of the Rings and Marvel, right? Right off the top of my head, yeah. Uh, Can you tell us anything about the Red Skull campaign coming out? Can I ask you, like, so what's cool, what has been announced is that there's five villains in it. Do each of them have a scenario that is, like, like sort of equal length of normal villain scenarios? You know what I mean? Like, um... Yeah, yeah, they're all around what you know what we've seen in the past, roughly. You know, okay, good. I think the thirty to forty cards, and and you know even with five scenarios in the box, because we didn't have like if you look at the core set, there's a ton of hero and player cards in there. We didn't have to worry about that as much with this expansion, so we could do a lot more focus on encounter sets, and that, that's kind of awesome. how we were able to focus. Or not, sorry, not focus, but that's how we were able to pack more. Um, or more scenarios in there. So yeah, every single scenario has their their own shtick. They've got their own deck, all their own mechanics. I be you know because it's Hydra themed. Uh, th- there's like uh, I think there's like a modular set or two that sort of moves in between, but that's really the only thing that's going to be recycled. So uh, awesome. and even those okay. like each scenario kind of plays with those modular sets in different ways. So yeah, every every single thing is its own stand. You can play each one as a complete standalone scenario or you can play it in that greater campaign if you want to that is super comforting to know we're hoping that some of the cards in that box will be able to be backported into existing villains to make them a little more competitive maybe or a little more interesting you mean like the the modular encounter set yeah oh yeah 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 every single modular encounter set in there you can you can take it out and play on a rhino or claw or green goblin or anyone else and that'll be the same going forward that'll that'll be the same for uh King the Conqueror and and pretty much any other encounter sets that we see. So those encounter sets, Caleb and I both agree that that's a really exciting design space that we want to explore more in the future. So it you know, gives each scenario so much more replayability, and we can do wild and crazy things with each one that just totally change the dynamic of of the deck. I think you know electro and 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 claw together it's a really good example or heck electro with anyone suddenly the deck is running out a lot faster or uh what's what's the one the um tombstone he's got the one card in there that like makes treachery trigger faster or, or he himself is just a big beefy minion so yeah we're, we're, we we definitely want to play with those those modular sets a lot more and and really offer players variety in in, in their encounter decks as all decks. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a time-traveling goblin glider riding rhino. <laughs> that sounds pretty... I hadn't actually thought about that, but that sounds pretty amazing. So, yeah, that's going to provide a lot of nice replayability for all those early villains and all that stuff you have doesn't... Oh, I played it all. No, you get to go back and try it again and do something different. Yeah. Let's try this. I love that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've always enjoyed kind of going back to those older scenarios and, and replaying those. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Being able to go back and, and replay that stuff, but with fresh new content, that, that that's exciting to me. So it's good to hear that it's exciting to other people too. Well, this has been great. I, I've run out of questions. I mean, I could just talk to you all night about other things, but I think <laughs> maybe we should. It's been an hour and a half. I don't know uh my co-hosts have any other thoughts or questions. This is a triple length episode. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, we usually do a half hour. Uh, yes, we've done we've done research into the average commute time, although that's now out the window. But yeah. we, we aimed for the twenty six minute time frame. Uh, but yes, thank you very much. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. You know, we're looking forward to actually seeing all the work you guys are doing on the game. We're excited about it, especially the it's obvious. Yeah, I want to say thank you as well. And maybe we could get sometime in the future we could get you and Caleb on together. You guys seem to have a great uh, rapport, and we could we have some ideas for some fun. Um, game show style episode we could do with you guys maybe. <laughs> that so. might be fun yeah thank you so much michael for coming on tonight it's been a treat talking to you yeah it was great talking to you guys too a lot of fun and i'll also say i i really like what you guys are doing focusing on the encounter sets like it's nice to be able to chat about that yeah yeah and we, we do think that it is actually the harder part of the game to uh, get right and sure. the more important part of the game to get right because if you don't have a yeah. villain a good villain anyway you don't really have a hero either yeah i totally agree mustafa why don't you tell the people where they can find us well our listener already knows but we're at critical encounters pod <laughs> at gmail.com uh we're critical encounters on facebook we're on discord as verdan big foam loaf and the truth if you like our show tell your friends if you don't like our show tell your enemies <laughs> all right michael this is your cue Watch that first step part. It's amazing.